You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father... Help us to believe it. We say we believe it. Help us to truly believe everything that you have for us today. We grieve this morning alongside our brothers and sisters in Israel. We do pray right now that you would uh, bring protection to them. Um, God, we know that war is not the original plan. Uh, That war exists because sin exists. Uh, Terrorism exists because sin exists. Um, God, we look forward to the day where all of those things are going to come untrue. But until then, Lord, as we deal with these things, comfort these people, comfort those of us who have our own battles today. Holy Spirit, meet us where we are. Do a work that's in us that's for our good and your glory. It's a cross name that I pray and ask these things. Amen. You can be seated. This is going to come as a really big shock to you. <clears throat> but uh, for most of my life, I've been pretty skinny. Um, I graduated at 135 pounds, dripping wet. Um, I've just never really been that big of a guy. The, the bad side of that is I wasn't really able to play contact sports growing up, uh, so I played tennis in high school. That was that was kind of my you know sport of choice. The good news about being skinny and having this high metabolism that I had is I could eat whatever I wanted, and I would really you know not notice any difference in my life. And so even whenever Megan and I got married. My diet consisted of, as far as uh, breakfast at least, was basically two s'mores Pop-Tarts or eight uh, M&M cookies, Keebler Elf style, that I would put on a plate, put in the microwave for 40 seconds, and then uh, eat those with a glass of milk. And just wouldn't notice any difference from it whatsoever. Uh, But I turned 40 this year. My metabolism is beginning to slow down. And what I've noticed is that I can't really eat uh, exactly what I uh, want to anymore because uh, it has begun to kind of show in some places. And, and uh, I'm not in any way saying that I'm, I'm fat or whatever else, but I, I begin to research and I begin to look at these different diets on the Internet, these different workouts that I can try to do to try to shift the weight maybe like from here to more like up in here. You know what I'm saying? Like I want big pecs, not a big gut. And the algorithms got me, because the other day I was on YouTube, and uh, there's this guy that popped up on my screen. Uh, Maybe you've seen this guy, Vince. Okay, have you seen Vince before? And I love this guy. At least I did it first, because uh, here he is. uh, You know, there's other other videos with his shirts off, and he's got these six-pack abs. And he's like, hey, you, yes, you, you can look like me and eat whatever you want and never have to do cardio. And so immediately I'm intrigued. It says, click here, and I'm like, okay, I'll click there. 
And I'm following this thread, man, and, and I'm watching this video for probably 15, 20 minutes, and he's amping me up, and he's like, your life's about to be transformed. You just wait, and he keeps on kind of teasing you and leading you all along in this video, and then eventually he's like, are you ready to be ripped? And I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's got me, and he's like, are you ready to be ripped in 90 days? And I'm like, definitely. Like, that's awesome. Like, my wife's not going to know what to do, you know? And he's like, okay, well, you can be ripped in 90 days for just $99. And then he goes in this whole spiel of all this other stuff you have to pay for and all these things you have to do. And honestly, that was just too much for me. And so I closed the window and still look like this, you know. And so um, all the way through his little talk, he was basically saying, here's what I can do for you. Here's what I can do for you. Here's what I can do for you. And he's listing all these possibilities. And he made it very clear. It's a very compelling little commercial. Uh, he also kind of said, here's the action steps you need to take. That was very clear. But the problem is that I was not willing to put in the price or pay the price. I was not willing to put in the work in order to become the person that he told me that I could definitely become. And the reason I share that with you is because today I'm going to try to be as clear as I can about four possibilities, four things that I believe Jesus absolutely can and will do for your life. But here's the thing. There's going to be some clear action steps at the end of this teaching. And I just want to tell you right now, there is no shortcut to greatness. There is not. There is no shortcut to you experiencing the life that you long to experience with Christ. And so I'm going to list for you four possibilities, things that can be true for you. At the very end, I'm going to be clear on here are some action steps. And then you're going to be able to decide, like, do I want to apply these things to my life and trust the process that not overnight, but over time, the things that we talk about today absolutely 100% can be true for my life. And with that in mind, I want you to look back with me at Psalm 23, and here's what you're going to see. In verse 2, we're going to discover that whenever you follow Jesus' plan for your life, when you follow him as shepherd, he will settle you down and satisfy your desires. And then in verse 3, we're going to see that he wants to restore your soul and redirect your steps. With that, let's start with he settles you down. Verse 2, David says this, that he, speaking of the Lord, speaking of Jesus, the good shepherd, he says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, when I first read that, I thought of the movie Happy Gilmore. How many of you in here have seen Happy Gilmore? Okay, quite a few of you. And I thought of that scene where Happy's grandma goes to the nursing home and she's getting settled into her room. And you remember uh, how, we have a picture of him, he comes into the room, right, played by Ben Stiller. And she's like, excuse me, sir, can you trouble me for a warm glass of milk? It helps put me to sleep. And he says some things to her. And basically he looks at him and he's like, here's the deal. You're going to go to sleep or I'm going to put you to sleep. Check out the name tag. You're in my world now, grandma. Right, remember that? And whenever I first read, he makes me lie down, I think of how. I'm like, is that what God is saying? Like, look, like, if you're bad, if you don't do what I tell you to do, like, I will put you to sleep. Like, check out the name tag. You're in my world now, right? Like, like that's what I think of. But as you study the Hebrew and you look at the original language, what we see in here is actually that's not what he's saying at all. He's not talking to you like the way we talk to our kids sometimes. We put them in time out and we're like, you go there and you just sit and think about what you've done for a minute, right? Like, that's not what he's saying. But actually in the Hebrew, we know that, that this phrase, he makes me lie down, another way of translating that is rest, or an even better translation, and most scholars agree this is the best one, he settles me down. 
And, and what he's getting at there is the reality that Jesus, when he is your good shepherd, can turn your panic into peace no matter the circumstances in your life. And isn't this a great promise today? I was looking at some stats earlier this week, and according to the ADAA, anxiety disorders are now the most common mental illness in the U.S., affecting, look at this, 40 million adults, costing the U.S. $42 billion a year in medication or health care services. And so let me just stop right here and say this. If you're here this morning and you battle anxiety, you're not alone. Anxiety is a real issue, not just for people out there, but even for people in here. And we feel anxious for all kinds of stuff. We feel anxious about our job. We feel anxious about our kids. We feel anxious about our health. We feel anxious about being anxious, right? And the good news is today is that we have a good shepherd whose name is Jesus, who in the words of the prophet Isaiah is the Prince of Peace. And he will meet you where you are. And no matter what circumstances are going on around you, he will, in fact, be able to give you the peace that you long for. Philip Keller is a literal shepherd and a pastor. And in his book, A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23, here's what he says. I'll put it on the screen for you. Sheep cannot lie down in green pastures unless four stipulations of safety are met. The sheep must be fed or freed from hunger pains, uh, pests, parasites, the fear of an outside attack, and most importantly, friction with other sheep. A lot of times what creates the most anxiety is friction we have with one another. I began to study this idea of friction between sheep. I didn't know it was a thing, but there's this deal called the budding order. You can go research it on your own, but it's where the dominant sheep begin to push the weaker sheep outside of the flock because they're trying to get to the front of the line to get these limited resources they think they need in order to survive. And so there's always this kind of fighting and competition that can take place among the sheep that removes this anxiety or causes us to experience anxiety in our lives. But what Keller goes on to say is this. Though there's a lot of things that can make a sheep anxious and therefore keep them from lying down, he says this, quote, when the shepherd is present, the sheep are at peace. Think about that. When the shepherd is present, the sheep are at peace. They know they're safe. They know they're secure. They know that because the shepherd is there, they can, in the words of David, say, I lack nothing. And guys, listen, this is the promise that Jesus, the good shepherd, makes to each one of you. In John 14, 27, listen to this. Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you peace as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. The peace that Jesus gives us is not like the world's peace because it is a threefold peace. Jesus gives us first peace with God, the one whom our souls long for most. In Romans 5, 1, it says, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When you are born, Paul says in Ephesians 2, you are born an object of God's wrath, and there's nothing that you can do about it. That's the bad news, but the good news is Jesus has done everything for you. Through his life and his death and his resurrection, when you trust in Christ, the Bible says you are justified. That is a legal word. means you're declared not guilty before God. It's why we celebrate baptism. It's to say no matter what has been done to us or what we have done against God, like we now, because of Christ, stand before God, holy, blameless, and accepted. We have peace with Him for all eternity. But Jesus doesn't just give us peace with God. He gives us peace with others. In Romans 12, 8, Paul says this, If at all possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. In the church, there should be no budding order. There should be no lasting friction. 
Like, because God has forgiven us of our sin against Him, we should and can now, in Christ, forgive others of their sin against us. We are to be peacemakers. When somebody else is at odds with us, we have the ability, in Christ, the power of His Spirit, to be reconciled to them, to live at peace. Even if somebody doesn't want to forgive us, even if somebody else even is is mad at us, because of the peace Christ gives us, we don't have to be anxious, even whenever there's turmoil there. We can have peace with God, peace with others, and we can have peace with ourselves. In Colossians 3.15, Paul says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. And you know what's so great about the peace of Christ? The peace that the Bible talks about is so much different than the shallow, kind of flat definition of the world's peace. You see, the world offers you peace as long as everything is good around you. It offers you peace as long as there's no conflict in your life. But the peace Jesus gives you It's peace even in the midst of the conflict. It's peace even in the midst of the chaos, even if your kids are going crazy, even if your friends have betrayed you, even if your spouse walks away, even if the money runs out, even if it feels like the ground beneath you is falling apart. And so when you think of the peace that Jesus gives you, listen to me, don't think of a tranquil lake, but rather think of the eye of a hurricane. Think of calm and beauty even in the midst of the mayhem. And so when David says, he makes me lie down in green pastures, that's what he's getting at, that Jesus, the good shepherd, here's the first possibility, he can settle you down. He can settle you down. Secondly, not only can he settle you down, he can satisfy your desires. In verse 2, he says, he makes me uh, lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside quiet waters. Now, why does that matter? Because 70% of a sheep's body is made up of water. And therefore, because that is true, it is very important that a good shepherd regularly leads sheep to clean drinking water. And what David is hitting on here is this is what the shepherd does for us. He leads, he's able to quench our thirst, and not just physically, but more importantly, he's able to do it spiritually. And Jesus talks about that in John 7. It's probably my favorite passage in all of the Bible, favorite story in all the Bible. Right? Jesus goes out of his way to talk to the Samaritan woman at the well. And this is a really, really big deal, by the way. Men never would approach a woman in this culture. You definitely, if you were a Jew, by the way, would never even approach a Samaritan, much less a Samaritan woman, much less a Samaritan woman who had a terrible reputation like this woman who was jumping from man to man to man to man to man. I mean, she was a scandalous chick. And Jesus goes out of his way to talk to this woman, and he doesn't shame her, but as she's pulling water out of the well, he says to her in John 17, I have come now to offer you the gift of living water. Everyone who drinks from the water of the world will thirst again, but if you drink of the water I give you, you will never thirst again. Guys, that's what Jesus, the good shepherd, wants to do for you. He he wants to lead you to quiet waters, not just literal water, but living water that can satisfy and soothe your soul. See, the truth is today we are all looking to something for satisfaction. What is it for you? Is it success? Is it the applause of others? Is it like? It's on social media. Is it your career? Is it your kids? Maybe some of you are vicariously living through your kids and hoping they go further than you ever did. And if they do that, then, then, then you'll be happy with them. Some of you say things like, my kids are my world, which just so you know, like that's very unfair to them. Like Jesus needs to be your world. Your kids can't carry the weight of that. 
Some of you use it for satisfaction, the approval of others, your boss, your possessions, the freedom to do whatever you want, whenever you want. And here's the problem. The problem with that is when you look to those things to satisfy you, if you get them, it'll actually make you feel emptier than it did before you even had them. They cannot do for you what, they, what you think that they can. See, David says in here that the good shepherd is one that leads us to waters, and not just waters, but notice he says, quiet waters. Why does that matter? Your translation might say still waters because sheep lack self-awareness. Remember we talked about this the week before. Like we're all sheep, the Bible says, which means we're all pretty dumb. We're all pretty ignorant. We're not as smart as we think we, we think we are. And so what sheep will do is literally, if they see rushing waters, they're like, water, I'm thirsty. And they will run towards it, not realizing they have like five pounds of, you know, or basically like all these like sweaters, wool sweaters on top of them. And they, they dip their heads down into the water. It begins to mat them down, and it pulls them down under the water, away from their shepherd and into destruction. And you look at that, and you're like, how stupid. But are we not similar? Is there not things in our own lives that we often look to to try to quench our thirst, that, that actually it's, it's rushing waters that pull us further down and away from this promised pleasure that it seemed to give us on the surface? I look at my own life, and I've shared this before, but for years, probably starting whenever I was 15, I developed a porn addiction. And a lot of that was because of my own shame, my own loneliness, my own need for, for connection and intimacy. And so I began to look to this false form of intimacy. And the thing about pornography is, pornography is it promises you that you're going to feel love, but then after you do it, you feel even more shame and loneliness and isolation, and it creates this like never-ending kind of destructive, addictive cycle. Like it promises you something good, but it always in return gives you something bad. Unfortunately, God has delivered me from any sort of pornography addiction, but there are still rushing waters that I can tend to look to to quench my thirst. I mean, one of those things for me is success in my career and my job. It can be things like an attendance on a Sunday morning. If we have great attendance, it's like, oh, I feel pretty satisfied today. If not, I'm like, oh, like I'm a failure. Like, I, I'm not satisfied today, or whatever it may be. I remember when we first started this church, I was like, you know, if we could ever just have 75 people, I would be happy. Can you believe I said that? 75 people, because that's the average-sized church in Arkansas. It's like, I just want to be average. That's all I want in my life, right? But we got 75, and what happened? The bar climbed. 100 would be great. Right? Triple digits. 100 be great. Get to 100, what happens? 200. 80% of churches never break the 200 barrier. Let's do that. Then we get a building. It's like, let's try to fill one service. We can fill the room. Just one service. We get now two services, right? And what happens is the bar just continues to go. You don't get satisfied. You just work harder and harder and harder, but then you end up feeling emptier and emptier and emptier. Rick Rubin talked about this this past week. Thank you, Sean. Once again, Sean Goodson delivering great sermon content to us. So we appreciate this, Sean. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Um, some of you are not clapping because you're like, let me, hear, let me hear the illustration first. I'll tell you if it's great. Uh, where's, where's Rick Rubin? Let's put him on the screen. There he is. Nice looking young man. Um, Rick Rubin. Gary, do you know Rick Rubin? He's the what? He's the master. That's right. And so like Rick Rubin has pretty much, musically speaking, he really is the master. Like he's produced any album that you probably like, or at least one of the albums you really like, there's a good chance he had his hands in it. And there's an interview that he, uh, uh, I guess it was like last week or the week before, someone was interviewing him, and they were like, hey, hey, Rick, what was it like whenever you finally produced an album that was number one, that was like the best-selling album? And here was his answer. He said, I'd never been more miserable in my entire life. <laughs> because here's, what's ha here's what happens, and, and, and you can just, Rick Rubin's one example of many. 
when you begin to climb this mountain, when you begin to look, and for him it was success in the music industry, and you begin to think, man, if I could just get there, I'll be happy. Oftentimes when you get to the top of that mountain, you realize, again, it did not do what you thought it could do. And he says, and many would say, you're actually more miserable if you get the thing than if you didn't get the thing. Because if you didn't get the thing, at least you can believe the illusion of, oh, if one day I could ever get to the top, I would be happy. And so it just kind of keeps you going with this false hope. And he says, but then you get to the top of the mountain and you realize, actually, no, 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 it couldn't do for you what you thought it could do for you. And he said, I was miserable. Absolutely miserable. Why is that? Because, as it says in Ecclesiastes, when God created you, he put eternity in your heart. He put in your heart a desire, in other words, for himself. Someone who cannot fade away, who cannot break, who will not ever leave you nor forsake you. This is why G.K. Chesterton once said, Every man who knocks on the door of a brothel is looking for God. Do you realize behind every desire you have, desire for sex, desire for good food, desire for money and fame, and all of that, beneath that is a much greater desire for God. And only he can, therefore, fulfill it. And what David says in here is that's what God does. He fulfills it. If you want to be satisfied today, the good shepherd can give you the satisfaction you long for. And so, he settles us down. He satisfies our deepest desires. Third, we see this. We move into verse 3. He also is one who can restore your soul. He can restore your soul. Again, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Verse 3, he refreshes, or your translation might say, he restores my soul. And when you think of soul... Listen, don't think of that cartoonish part of you that floats into heaven when you die. That's not your soul. Your soul is your mind, your body, and your emotions. It's, it's your whole life. That's why several translations will say, He restores my life. Why does David say that, and why is this important? Because there are times where it's going to feel like your life is falling apart. There are moments for every single one of us where the weight of the world is going to feel like it is crushing the life out of you. There are times where you're going to feel like your best days are behind you. And the good news about the good shepherd is he will pursue you, and he will, David says, through his own power, give your life back to you. And one just kind of example of what I think this looks like is in 1988, there was a massive earthquake in Armenia, it was like, I think it's an 8.2 on the Richter scale. Uh, it, it killed 25 to 30,000 people. It was devastating. And out of all this tragedy, there was one beautiful story about a dad and his son, Armand. And the dad uh, found out about the earthquake, and like many other parents, he went to the school where his son was that day, and when he got there, he found out that it actually had been flattened. There was just a bunch of concrete and, and metal. But undeterred, he was like, I've got to find my son. I've got to find my son. And so he just begins to pull back concrete and metal and debris. And he begins to dig two hours, four hours, six hours, eight hours. There were rescue members that came on firefighters and was like, sir, like, you need to go home. Like, like, if we find him, we'll let you know. Like, like, just go home. Like, there's no reason for you to keep doing this. They're probably gone anyway. Like, just, just you know, let us take care of this. But the dad kept on digging and kept on digging and kept on pulling. And here he is, 20 hours, 24 hours, at 38 hours into the dig. He calls out to his son, Armand, Armand. And he hears back from underneath some rubble, Dad. And so the father goes over, he pulls back the concrete, and there is his son, Armand, and 13 other kids from the school that were still alive. And in an interview... 
after he was rescued, a reporter looked at Armand and said, what was the first thing you thought whenever you saw your dad pull back that concrete? And he said, I looked at my friends and I said, see, I told you my dad wouldn't forget us. It's a beautiful story about the pursuit of a father, of a loving father who pursues those who are in trouble. And listen, that's the kind of God that we have. That's the kind of shepherd that we have. Some of you in here right now, you feel the weight of the world is on your shoulders. You look around and it feels like your life is falling apart, that maybe it is in shambles, whether it be because of your sin or the sin of others. You feel like your life is broken beyond repair, like maybe you're trapped and your best days are behind you. And you need to know today, listen, the shepherd has not forgotten you. He sees you. He is coming after you, and all you have to do is, listen, is cry out to him. In Romans 10, 13, it says, Everyone who calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. They shall be rescued. That is a promise. So the shepherd restores your soul, and then finally, not only that, it gets even better. He also redirects your steps. In verse 3, again, it says, He refreshes my soul, and he guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. I'm going to show you a picture that is probably the most ridiculous thing you're going to see this week. Is that not absolutely pitiful? Look at that. I mean, that is sad. That's a bad day is what that is. That's a bad day. That is a cast sheep. That's not Photoshop. That, that is, this is a real phenomenon that happens. That is a cast sheep. What that means, that is a sheep that is fallen and can't get up. Sheep are built like cartoons. They're just these barrel of the bodies with stick legs and their backs are literally flat like the top of a table and so if it gets on its back it can't get back over and that's bad news by the way because it's vulnerable to prey and it can't eat and it can't drink and so and, and the way I understand it like the way it, when it's turned over like that there's gases that build up in its body that can kill it pretty quickly and so when a shepherd is counting his sheep, as he often will do, if he finds a sheep's been missing, he usually assumes, uh-oh, like, I probably have a cast sheep. And so what the shepherd will do is think about this, such a beautiful image. The shepherd will pursue the sheep, and when it finds a sheep that is turned over like this, not only will the shepherd turn the sheep over on its feet, but because its blood has flown out of its legs, it can't stand yet. And what the shepherd will do, and Philip Keller talks about this in his book, The Guy Who's a Literal Shepherd, he will straddle the sheep. And he said it's usually anxious and it's nervous and it's scared. And he said he'll just begin to pet it. And he'll just begin to talk to it and say, hey, it's okay. I'm here. It's okay. I'm here. And he said then slowly but surely he will help it take a step back in the right direction. And what David is getting at here is that's exactly what the good shepherd will do for you. No matter how far you've wandered off the path, no matter how trapped you might feel that you are, Jesus will meet you where you are, and he will, in fact, give you the strength today to take the next right step out of death and into life. That's the good news of the shepherd. In Proverbs fourteen twelve, it says, There is a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. Some of you have experienced that. Whenever we begin to think that we're smarter than God and we think, you know what, I think I'm going to go this way rather than the way God's calling me, it always, in one way or another, eventually leads into death. It's really bad news, but the good news is today, Jesus will meet you where you are. 
He will get you back on track. You have not wandered too far. He will, in fact, show you the next steps that you are to take. He will redirect your life. And notice, he will do this for his name's sake. So yes, Jesus will do all this for your good, but ultimately he does it for his glory. Jesus cares about his reputation. You realize Jesus cares more about being a good shepherd than you care about him being a good shepherd? Like his reputation is at stake. His glory is at stake. And so like, like he wants to be your good shepherd even more than you want him to be your good shepherd. Like that's the promise today. And so the question as we end is, well, then why don't I experience him this way? Why don't I experience him this way? Like let's just think about this as we end today. Like, some of you are like, if he can settle me down, then why am I so anxious? If he can satisfy my deepest desires, why am I so discontent? If he truly can restore my soul, why am I so worried? If he can redirect my steps, why do I still feel so confused and lost? And one answer may be because Jesus is not your shepherd. That could be one answer this morning. And if he's not, my hope today is that you will stop following the course of the world, that you will stop kind of just doing what you think is right in your own eyes, and you will fully give your life to Jesus as your Lord and Savior today. And if you want more information about that, you can come, talk with me, talk with Chris, someone else. We would love to help you. But assuming that most of you in here claim to be Christians, and I think you do, the question I think still remains is, well, what about me? Why am I not experiencing this life that Jesus promises to give me? And this is where the action step comes in. Okay? This is where, for me, Vince lost me when it came to the whole workout thing. So I'm like, okay, now I see there's a cost to this thing. There's some work I have to do, and I'm not willing to do it. So how bad do you want it? That's the question. First, how bad do you need Jesus to settle you down, to satisfy the desires of your heart, to restore part of your life, to, to redirect your steps? And if you want it, here's how you go after getting it. Are you ready? If you're taking notes, first off. If you're here and you're like, I need the shepherd to settle me down. I need to experience peace rather than panic. Then there are two practices that you need to embody. Silence and surrender. First off, you need to incorporate silence into your life. And what I mean by that is you need to take time where you block out the noise of the world and you sit silently for even if it's four to five minutes. You pr I'm trying to be as practical as I can, guys. You sit silently in the presence of the loving God. And when you do that, in 1 John 4, the Bible says that God's love will begin to cast out all fear. Now, does that happen the first time you do it? No. I mean, maybe. But again, this is a pattern that you have to put into your life. I would encourage you, carve out one to two times a day where for at least four to five minutes, you are sitting still in the loving presence of God. And this is what it looks like for me. If I had a chair, I would do it. First is I just sit down and I try to become aware of what I'm feeling the shirt on me, the, the, the chair underneath me, the feet underneath my ground. I, it's called centering. I try to center myself in the moment. Do you realize, by the way, I talked about this last week, if you're experiencing anxiety, you actually can't even fear the future. You can only fear the past happening again. And so what's happened is if you experience trauma or bad things have happened to you, your body goes on high alert, and it's meant to save you. It's meant to keep you from, like, getting eaten by a lion or something. That's why it was built into us. And so when you're anxious, you literally, your body feels like you're running from a predator, that there's something that can harm you. And when you just sit down and learn to kind of silence the noise, you become aware of the fact of, oh, wait a minute, like there is no threat right now. Like I'm here, I'm alive, I have what I need. And then just become aware of God's loving presence in your life. And the way that I do this, practically speaking, is I just say, okay, God, like I know you're here. Help me to be here with you. And I take a few deep breaths. I don't talk to God necessarily. I don't ask him to speak to me. I just sit there in his loving presence. 
just abide and abide. If you want peace, that's the first thing you need to be able to do is to sit in silence in the loving presence of God. Secondly, you need to learn to do this thing called surrender. Surrender. You know, whenever I sit down, oftentimes, like, I get distracted. Anybody else, like, do that? Your mind starts running to the cares of the world. Okay, me and Stephanie, great. Um, the rest of you, this won't be helpful, but this will be good for you and me. Um, I, I sat with Father Jerome one time at a monastery, and he told me, he said, you know, I've been doing this whole silence and solitude thing for, for 30 years. He says, no matter what tree I sit down, there's always monkeys climbing up the top of it. And he said, the goal in prayer is just don't climb back up there with the monkeys. Like, and if you are up there, come back down. And my wife says, what if the monkeys are throwing bananas at you? Because that's what I feel like in my quiet time, Right? The goal is, if you find your mind wandering and to the concerns of the world, just here's what I would encourage you to do. Surrender that to God by praying the prayer of St. Francis, and it's so eloquent. You ready to hear the prayer? God, you take care of it. That's the prayer. God, you take care of it. You're my shepherd. You take care of it. Uh, I give it to you. Or you can pray the prayer of serenity, which I know several of my brothers and sisters in here know. Lord, Give me the peace to surrender what I cannot control and the courage to change what I can and the wisdom to know the difference between the two. Not my will be done, but yours. Silence and surrender. Guys, you want some peace in your life? Put this into practice. Secondly, if you're here and you're like, man, I'm struggling with discontentment. I just do not at all know the Lord in a way that I can say like David, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. So how can I experience God in such a way that truly I can be content no matter what circumstances I find myself in? Well, here's the practices. And I know some of you are already like, that's too much of a cost. But if you want it, here it is, fasting and feasting. Fasting. What does fasting do? It literally resets your appetites. That's what it does. Fasting is whenever you take something out of your life that maybe is stuffing you but not satisfying you. It could be social media. It could be fasting from certain meals. It could be fasting from a variety of different things. But it's basically saying, I'm going to try to clear out space in my life so the living water can come in and begin to fill me up. Fasting and feasting. Feasting on what? Feasting on things that help stir your heart towards God. And this is different for all of us. You've got to figure out what are the things that you do that when you do it, make you love God more. What are things that when you do it, help you experience more of God's love? And figure that out. For me, it's community. I'm an extrovert. I often have my heart stirred towards Jesus when I'm with people. I love good music. I can listen to a good piece of music whether even it's considered Christian or not, I can listen to it and be like, oh, that's amazing. Like, it stirs my heart towards God. My favorite time in the day that I don't let be hijacked by anything is sitting with God on my porch with a cup of coffee. I like walking in cemeteries. That stirs my heart towards God. Now, for some of you, that creeps you out. So don't do that, okay? Find things that stir your heart towards Christ and feast on that. That's how you are going to begin to realize that Christ truly can satisfy the deepest desires of your heart. Third, what about for those of you who feel beat up by life right now? Or what about for those of you who feel like, man, my life is falling apart, whether because of your sin or the sin of others? What I would say you need to implement into your life is rest and repentance. Rest, first off. You need to, no matter how bad things are at work or whatever, take 24 hours a day where you do this thing called a Sabbath. I would ask you to raise your hands and ask you how many of you Sabbath, but I don't want to do that. I just, but I want you to ask yourself, do I Sabbath? Do I take 24 hours a week, just 24 hours a week, where I actually focus my attention 
on the goodness of God. I don't work. I don't check emails. I don't try to make my life better in any way, shape, or form. But for 24 hours a week, not 24 hours a day, that'd be every day, right? For 24 hours a week, are you just pushing pause on the busyness of life and trying to enjoy just to be refreshed by God? And if you're like, I don't even know how to do that, come and talk to me. I'd be happy to help you. Also, repentance. Guys, even if you have been sinned against, do you realize a lot of times we have something to repent of? Because a lot of times we begin to believe lies over the truth. We begin to hold grudges. We begin to have all kinds of different issues and things the enemy's trying to do in our life. And repentance is not a bad word. Repentance is just simply saying, I'm going to stop believing lies. I'm going to believe the truth. I'm going to walk in the way Christ calls me to walk. I'm going to change directions. I've been going this way, but now I'm going to go in the way of Christ. The reason this is so important is when we sin, our soul begins to disintegrate. And if you want your soul to be held together, to be whole, mind, body, and emotions, we need to walk in the truth, to repent in areas where there's habitual sin in our life. Finally, what if you're here and you're like, I'm confused, I feel lost, I feel overwhelmed in the fact that I don't know the next step to take, I don't know what God's calling me to do, how do I get clarity around that? Well, I would say you implement these two things, which is reading and relationships. Reading the Word of God. That is the way you will learn God's will for your life, is by reading the Word. And then lastly, I would say by getting involved in a community. Get in a missional community. Get in a DNA. Oftentimes, God will speak through other people. I am amazed how many people over the last, you know, 11 years of me doing this will make major life decisions without talking to brothers and sisters in the faith. I'm amazed by that. Like, like we need to involve one another in our life's events. Say, so, hey, brother, what are you seeing in my life? Sister, what are you seeing in my life? Like, is there anything God is saying to you? Community is a place where we can be held accountable, and it's a place where we can be encouraged in the journey that we are on. All that being said, I'm going to invite the band back up. Jesus wants to be your shepherd. He wants you to experience this life. He wants to step into your stress and settle you down. He wants to satisfy the deepest desires of your heart. He wants to restore your soul and redirect your steps so that you can, in fact, experience the life you're longing for. And so with that in mind, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. And I just want to take a moment. And I just want you to answer a couple questions as we end this morning. The first question is this. Is Jesus your shepherd? Is Jesus your shepherd? Have you fully submitted your whole life to him as Lord and Savior? And if not, I'm so glad you're here. But my prayer today is that you would give everything that you have to Christ. That today he would become your shepherd. And if you want to know how to do that, I'd be happy to connect with you. For others in here, I just want to ask you, if you would say the Lord is your shepherd, what is your next step? What is your next step? I've given you some really practical stuff today because I don't want to be the Vince guy, right? I don't want to just like try to pump you up. There's stuff the Lord can do for you and then send you out on your own and try to figure it out. Like, here's some really practical next steps you've been given today. So what is your next step? What is it for you? Is there something in your life you need to repent of? Is there... Do you need to get involved in community? Do you need to, to begin to take a Sabbath? Do you need to begin to read the scriptures, to carve out times for silence and solitude and, and seek to surrender the concerns of the world to Him? The truth is today, guys, listen, it will cost you something to follow Jesus. But it will cost you so much more to not follow after Jesus. And so today, whatever trust looks like, whatever faith looks like, whatever that requires of you, take the next step. Trust Jesus as the shepherd of your soul. Father, I thank you so much for everyone who is in this room today. 
And I pray that right now that you would, Holy Spirit, help each person to know the practical next step that they can take to experience truly the life they are longing for in you. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.